0: Welcome to the new mama podcast. I'm Lauren, a new mama to little Logan, and I'm here to share women's stories of pregnancy, birth, and motherhood. Spoiler alert, it's not gonna be all sunshine and rainbows. We're talking about the ups and downs of motherhood through raw, vulnerable, no BS conversations, because in reality, you can't have a rainbow without a little rain. This podcast is here to be your friend, the friend I'd wish I'd had in my darkest times to remind me that I was not alone. And it's okay to not be okay. We're in this together and mama, you got this. All right. So thanks everyone for joining for today's episode of the new mama podcast. Here with me today, I have Jamie McHugh. Jamie is a writer amongst many other talents, but most recently she's a new mama to little eight month old Primrose or Rosie as a nickname. Jamie lives in Sydney with her husband, has an eye for fashion and uses any excuse to get glammed up, even a podcast, and is just an all-around beautiful human. So welcome, Jamie. Thank you,
1: Lauren. That's so lovely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So as you know, we're here to discuss all things pregnancy, birth and how you found becoming a new mum. So I know obviously a bit about your story, but would you mind telling us a bit about your journey to falling pregnant with Primrose? Absolutely.
1: So we had to do IVF and we did IVF just as Australia was going into lockdown with COVID, which was an incredibly strange experience And it's kind of surreal even now thinking back to what that experience was actually like. I think there were so many women who had babies around that time or who started to fall pregnant around that time. And in your mind, you have an idea of how something might look. And none of our pregnancy journey looked at all how I thought it was going to. And in what sense, what didn't look how you thought it would? I think growing up, you're told so often to be very careful to prevent pregnancy and so when you start to try falling pregnant you just assume that it's not going to be an issue and so we were trying for a year before we went to a doctor and we had some tests done and turned out I had polycystic ovarian syndrome it was kind of a not borderline i guess borderline is the right word actually so very faint polycystic ovarian syndrome amongst other problems that we were having at the time and the year leading up to finding that out was really hard because you think we're trying and it's not working what's wrong and so almost finding out that there was an issue and we were going to have to do IVF it made it easier in a way because we went okay now we know what we're dealing with it's not just this big expansive unknown of when it might happen and Mm. you can plan a little bit better from that but having said that you plan, but then you don't plan for a pandemic to come through. (laughs) (laughs) That is
0: very true. That's one thing you cannot control. Um, So the polycystic ovaries, I'm the same as you. I'm kind of on that cusp, but not fully diagnosed, Hmm. but do have kind of polycystic ovaries. I actually didn't realize how common it was.
1: I was surprised once I got diagnosed and I told people that I had polycystic ovarian syndrome, how many women said me too, or they had a friend or family member who had it as well. And it's again, I think with so much to do with pregnancy and birth, there's so much that people don't speak about, or it's not really mentioned how common things actually are. And so when you start speaking to other women, you go, oh, wow, it's not just me. It's it's not just an issue that I'm facing. So many other people are having the same experience.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think there's comfort in knowing that, right? Just knowing that you're not the only person in the world that's going through, I mean, difficult time. It must really helped with your mental health in that sense. 100%
1: I really struggled with the not knowing why we weren't getting pregnant and it's really hard watching it happen to other people around you and you're so happy for them and you're so excited that your friends are having this wonderful start to their journey but then it makes you think well what am I not Mm -hmm. doing right and I think the one thing that I've learned throughout pregnancy and birth is you can do all the things right in inverted commas but ultimately there's still so many things within that that are outside of your control and I think that's been a big lesson for me that even if you put all the work in and you do you know steps a through to z it still might not work yeah um yeah so letting go of control has been a huge thing for me yeah and I, I find that
0: with speaking to so many mums is that kind of control piece but through as you say through pregnancy and birth you know there's things that you can't control and it it's it's a real struggle letting go of that
1: yeah absolutely but to your
0: point around polycystic ovaries being quite common after kind of hearing about your journey with IVF I didn't realize how common IVF was even one of the things that I read was that one in 20 babies were born through IVF in Australia And, you know, to that point, as many as one in eight couples experience infertility, which I also didn't realize.
1: I didn't realize that either.
0: Yeah. I mean, as you're saying around, it took you guys a year to then say, okay, let's go and see, you know, if there is anything underlying. Infertility is classed as trying for a year unprotected
1: and can be for various reasons. Yeah. And in our situation, like in my husband and I situation, there were other factors as well. And so it all kind of culminated in needing to do IVF. So I remember when we once I'd had my test and my husband had had his tests, we sat down with our doctor and they kind of sit you down and go, okay, this is what your options are. And I didn't realize within IVF that there's other options before you get to IVF. Mm. So there's various stages. And the doctor said to us that those other stages won't work based on your situation. You guys need to go straight to IVF. And at the time it felt a bit big because Mm. again, you hear all these stories of people having to do so many rounds and the the emotional investment, as well as the financial investment. It's scary and Mm -hmm. it feels really big at the time. But then again, that flip side is we know what we're dealing with now. We have a a plan, you know, again, that, that plan word in place and we can work towards something. And so I think we took six months so once we had that advice luckily we were in a position where it wasn't time sensitive and so I know for a lot of other people that's really hard as well because they say you've got to do IVF and you need to do it quickly so we were very lucky in that step that we didn't have to to rush like our doctor said to us you know you've got time so so get yourselves ready Mm. for this so we took six months to kind of prepare ourselves and and save up for for the cost of it as well um, and then we started the egg retrieval in February last year. Again, you hear lots of, of stories about what IVF is like for a lot of women. And I was terrified of how I was going to react to the, the hormones. And I was so lucky. Like I had such a, an easy ride compared to what a lot of women go through with the hormones. Like I had fatigue and a bit of a headache and, and that was it. And I, I know a lot of other women don't get that, that lucky. So I thought very blessed in that regard. Yeah, that's
0: that's awesome. Yeah. So you said that was what, February last year. How did COVID impact on your journey?
1: So with IVF, you do blood tests every three days just to check where your hormone levels are at. With some cases for IVF, you can do a fresh transfer. So as soon as you've had the embryo created you can have it transferred immediately because of polycystic ovarian syndrome there's a risk that you may go into shock when all your hormone levels drop suddenly so for me it was recommended to have the frozen transfer which means meant we had to wait and again when you do IVF you can either wait a few months or you can do it in the very next cycle and my husband and I decided to do it in the very next cycle i think the first case of COVID hit Australia in January so at the time it was very loosely in the background but I think like so many things in the past you think oh it'll there'll be a couple of cases and then it will just go away it it won't happen here it's not going to happen to us so it wasn't as much of a thought in my mind it was only really at the beginning of March when it started to ramp up a little bit more and then things were happening at work where we were having the work-at-home orders I think through mid-March. And knowing that we had that deadline at the end of March when I was going to have my transfer Mm -hmm. and it was everything was kind of running along parallel train tracks. So as COVID started ramping up, we were ramping up towards when I was meant to have my transfer, which was going to be the 30th of March. So. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, that's crazy. And then so we had the announcement was made by the government on the 25th of March that all elective surgeries were going to be cancelled. And unfortunately IVF is considered an elective surgery even though, you know, you don't have a choice, but I remember I had been furloughed from my job maybe 2 days before that so i was at home just kind of like what do i do knowing that this date was coming and we didn't know what was going to happen because i think the the thinking around the time was australia might become the next italy like with all these cases blowing up and at that stage i'm pretty sure the cases were in the hundreds each day which was really scary even just leaving the house to go out to go to the appointments because you feel so protective of of your body because you're so close to this point. And in my mind, that was like, I don't even want to get a flu because that means that I can't have the transfer. Mm. Like I just want to keep myself as healthy as possible without the the other side of COVID as well, which again, I'm sure all pregnant women or people falling pregnant at the time Mm. were as well. It was just, yeah, weird time, but The government made the announcement around midday. We got a call from our doctor that afternoon saying, if you are already in the process of your cycle, then you can finish it. And so we were one of the very lucky ones that they said, yes, you can finish it. So we had our transfer on the 30th of March and I think elective surgery shut down on the 1st of April. Oh my
0: gosh, that is the stars aligning right there.
1: Yeah. And in our minds, we were like, look, it's the first transfer. I don't know anyone who's ever had their first transfer work. Let's just give it a go, see what happens. And, you know, if we have to wait until the end of the year to do another transfer, then so be it. But let's just take our chance. As long as we can get the 30th of March, then we'll be okay. And and it worked. Oh, my gosh. And in my mind, I had mentally kind of prepared myself. Just when you go into the doctor's appointment it might not work. It's probably not going to work. It's highly unlikely it's going to work. So just think of this as the first step. And then you've got COVID to kind of heal and get over it, get into the next step. And then when elective surgeries are back, then you can do it again. And I know I keep harping on about luck, but I really do feel that we were just so lucky because there was nothing that we did that was different to make it work for us like it it just was luck and i'm I'm so grateful for that because it was so out of our control.
0: I oh, know and now you have beautiful little primrose
1: I do my wildflower. <laughs> <laughs> So tell us
0: about your pregnancy then. So you've obviously were successful with IVF. How
1: were the following nine months? Oh, so my luck definitely ran out. So <laughs> pregnancy, yeah. So super, super lucky up until that point. And then the luck just kind of like nosedived off a cliff. So I am oh, no. not- not a good pregnant person so I had probably from about six weeks on I didn't realize it was a thing but I had pregnancy insomnia so I would sleep for maybe two or three hours and then I'd wake up and the nausea would start probably about 2 three o'clock in the morning and it would just go all day and usually by the time it was about 7 8 o'clock in the morning that's when I'd start vomiting mm-hmm. and the vomiting would usually finish by about eight o'clock at night and then the nausea would just like the nausea was underlying throughout. So that was awful. Yeah, like just really, really awful. Um, and it was hard as well because I was so grateful and so happy that, that we'd been blessed with this pregnancy. And I just couldn't enjoy the pregnancy because I was so sick. And that took me through to about week 25 of the pregnancy. And then at that point, I started getting the pelvic pain. So I couldn't sleep on my side. I couldn't roll over at night. Like it was just constant pain in my hips and in my tailbone. It was this kind of like crushing pain. And i went to the physio once a week to kind of deal with that. And I was on medication for the insomnia from, yeah, from six weeks on until primrose was born. Because when I came off it, even at week 32, to week 33, I was still, the nausea came back as well. You know, and the, the vomiting every like, I think my record was four vomits in two hours. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, so it was just I'm not a good pregnant person. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and you know what I don't think I am either <laughs>
0: and part of me just thinks sometimes I used to because I was really sick as well um I had hyperemesis so 41 weeks I was sick and I remember just thinking one day am I just being a drama queen like am I just really not coping as well as other women cope or is there something really wrong with me so I would spend hours on google kind of trying to find research and information around severe sickness and nausea and kind of how debilitating it is just to feel like I wasn't alone. So I'm sorry that you had to experience that as well.
1: Yeah, it's really hard, isn't it? Because I think, especially at that time, you were alone. Like it wasn't like you could go out and talk to other people and be, or, and even mm-hmm. the well meaning people you'd run into in Woolworths or something would be like, oh, you know, it happened to this person I know or that person I know. You didn't, you didn't get to experience that. It was just kind of you on the couch shaking going, Oh God, please just stop. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it, yeah, it's, and it is hard. I often wonder what it would have been like without COVID laced through it as well, because I feel like so much of my pregnancy journey was impacted by that as well. And so it's hard to know Mm. if I would have struggled with the sickness as much if I had been able to okay well I'm feeling horrible but maybe I can go for a walk by the beach or or something like that like just to get that fresh air Mm. or um but I just I physically felt like I couldn't move off the couch as well. Yeah. Yeah see it's a blessing and a
0: curse isn't it because I feel like in a way it was almost weirdly good timing because it meant working from home you could have a nap for an hour on your lunch break. Whereas if you're in the office You can't just go and, although I do know people who have gone into meeting rooms or whatever and just gone and have a little lie down just to kind of get some energy back
1: because it is debilitating. More power to them. I honestly, and that was where I was like, am I just not handling this? Because I physically don't feel like I could have worked full time. I just couldn't like in an office space. I just Mm. felt so awful the whole time. Yeah. And, I'm like, amazed. and that now sitting here, I'm like, I'm amazed that women who are pregnant and work full time. I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> so they're like such a diva, but
0: <laughs> you just do it though. Don't you? Like you don't, you don't have a choice. And sometimes I found that working actually was good because it took my mind off it. I mm. mean, as much as the nausea is relentless and you just, you constantly feel rubbish. I think working is a bit of a distraction. So I think it was good in that sense. But you said around feeling almost a sense of guilt towards the baby. I know certainly Mm. I resented being pregnant and I feel absolutely awful for it now that Logan's here. But it's just, it wreaks havoc on your mental health.
1: Absolutely. And I think I was really, I felt really terrible because I had been so lucky to have fallen pregnant and to have had a relatively positive time. With IVF, to then all of a sudden land in these feelings of such sickness and pain for the whole time, and the industry I work in was very quiet during COVID because a lot of the the jobs just couldn't happen, and so there wasn't as much to kind of distract me at home, and I just think that being in my thoughts too much really played into that, and I felt terrible that I was having these thoughts of sadness.
0: Yeah, I can relate. I remember even finding myself googling is it normal to be this sick is it normal to hate being pregnant google obviously is just not <laughs> the right thing to do when uh-huh. you're having these thoughts because you're just validating your feelings and it just exacerbates them and makes them feel 10 times worse
1: yeah google is not your friend at two o'clock at night. <laughs> google is not your friend yeah. Dr. Google. Absolutely. At one stage, my husband would look over and he'd be like, are you on your phone? Are you on Google? That's it. I'm taking your phone for half an hour and you've got to try and sleep. Okay. <laughs> so obviously
0: nine months of not the most enjoyable pregnancy, how then was your
1: birth or Primrose's birth? So I feel like that luck ticked back in as well. So it kind of came back around and um, I had a the best birth that I could possibly have had. And if I had been able to choose what I could have, that's what I would have wanted. And you don't think that you'll ever get to have that. It's just this kind of, Oh, I hope I have a nice birth. And and I feel very grateful that I got to have that. The road to get to it was a bit harder at, I think about 35 weeks, I was told that I probably need to have an induction. And that really scared me because you hear bad stories about inductions. So why, why did you have to get the induction? So at 35 weeks, or it's probably about 33 weeks, Primrose was tracking small, just under average throughout the entire pregnancy. And, um, and then at 33 weeks, she just kind of exploded in size mm. and just grew and grew and grew. And the doctor started, we sent me for more scans just to check size and she was coming back at the 97th percentile. And the calculations were that she was going to end up at about four and a half kilos. So I had another scan at 37 weeks and same things. They said, she's like, you're getting a big baby. And it was always my choice. I always felt really grateful for that, that it was a choice that I was given. So mm-hmm. the obstetrician said very slight, but an increased risk of stillbirth for IVF mm-hmm. babies who go past 39 weeks, which I didn't realize. And that kind of surprised me. And that was probably the biggest part of the decision that we made because even Even the slightest chance of that happening was just a little bit too much of a risk for Mm. my husband and I. And then the third thing that the obstetrician said to me was that women who do need to have an induction are better off having it before 39 weeks because it leads to less cases of intervention. And I have a scar on my face from my mum's birth where she had um, forceps and they kind of went into my face as a baby. So it was always this story in my family of, of traumatic birth. And especially with forceps or intervention, I think hearing these, these stories around inductions where that leads to further interventions and um, really scared me. But then the Mm. flip side was that if it was the safest thing for my body and for my baby, then I think I had to go with it. So as scary as it was, it felt like it was the right choice. So, and it was, it 100% was. So,
0: it's so interesting, though, isn't it? The doctor is someone that you trust and they're a professional and you're going to take their advice. And as soon as they say something, even if it is the slightest percentage, you just, Jump onto it, not saying you, I'm saying women in general, because there's so much anxiety around birth in general. I know that certainly for me, I listened to so many podcasts and I did all the research and everything. And naturally, you're going to do what's best for you and your baby, right? Mm,
1: Absolutely. But there's always that fear as well. I really had to look for positive induction stories, which scared me to begin with the fact that I actually had to look for them because Mm. and I think it's wonderful that so many women are given space to talk about the horrible induction stories that they have and I think that's important but I also think it's important that there are the positive induction stories put out there as well so that yes women who have a negative experience are given the space to be able to talk about that and grieve and go through that but there's also the side where there are positive experiences as well so it can be a nice way to give birth because I think in my mind it meant that I was going to to lose control if I had an induction because there would just be intervention after intervention
0: yeah I know what you mean and to the point around your mum so your birth that having happened in your family so close to home literally is going to play on your mind too so it's just interesting how past experiences play into your birth experience
1: as well So I have a few women in my family who've had very traumatic birth experiences and when you hear that, you kind of expect that that will be your experience as well and so it's very scary going into pregnancy and towards the end of pregnancy and hearing that you have to give birth without all the fears of giving birth and then hearing that you're probably going to have to have an intervention and it starts to tweak that little part of your mind going, well, this is the beginning of my bad experience like the rest of my family.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah the mental health around giving birth I think by the end I don't know what kind of week it must have been for me when I kind of was like I think I've read everything on the internet I don't think I can consume anymore I know every possibility and eventuality and you just don't know how your birth is going to play out so how was how was the rest of Rosie's birth then so you were induced and then do you want to tell us how she arrived?
1: yeah So I was induced, so I went into hospital the night before and they just kind of strapped up the heart monitor and checked that the baby's doing okay and they check if you're dilated at all and I wasn't dilated at all and so they... Kind of apply a gel to start softening everything for birth, and then the next morning I was probably about six or seven o'clock in the morning. I was taken through to the delivery suite, and then at about eight thirty, my waters were broken, and because I think I were dilated like maybe a centimeter, and the oxytocin drip was connected up and. Yeah, about three hours 45, 50 minutes later, Rosie was born. Ah, oh, three hours, 45 minutes. Yeah. That's amazing. But I mean, luck. It was all luck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very lucky. Wow. And how did how did you find labor? Did you remain positive throughout, or what was your mental health like at, at that point in
1: time? I completely shut down. Like I remember my husband's was laughing with the the doctor and the nurse and I was so grateful that they were making it such a lovely environment to be in and it was such a happy space and I wanted to tell them that I was so grateful for how lovely it felt to be in the room and I couldn't speak like I was just lying there between the pushing stage because I just after once I got to the Mm -hmm. the pushing stage I just physically couldn't speak and I wanted to tell them thank you for making us feel so lovely but I I couldn't. Like I was just animalistic, just doing what I had to do. <laughs> it's the thought that counts, Jamie. <laughs> That's it. Like, I'll tell. I'll tell everyone afterwards. But I'm literally just lying here. I can't move or speak, but just do what I have to do. And I, I think that surprised. That surprised me that it was like another part of my brain took over.
0: Yeah, I think it does though. And that, as you said, the animalistic side of you, it does take over. And I remember I didn't say anything at all either. I was just so in that zone. And I kind of warned Matt about that beforehand because I am quite introverted anyway. So I get my energy from within. So when I was in the zone, I said to Matt, I said, be prepared because I'm probably not going to speak to you and don't take it personally. And he was like, oh, no, no, it's fine. And I just didn't. It's just amazing how your body just takes over.
1: Mm, absolutely. I did not expect that at all. But I guess Nothing can really prepare you for it because it's not an experience or feeling you've ever felt either,
0: yeah, exactly, and everyone is different so now that primrose is here, how have you found becoming a new mum?
1: I feel like every time I try and answer this, I actually just i don't know how to because it's so big, and the feelings around it are so visceral, you know it's just. Bigger than something that I can kind of comprehend. And I think that has shocked me. How big my feelings towards her have been. I mean, people say you love your baby. I'm like, well, of course you do. It's your baby, but that to actually feel that yourself, I'm like, wow, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do, I really do. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's been really shocking. I mean, I think there are times where Some days are so much better than other days. And some days I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever done. And I just, I couldn't love this baby more. And then other days I'm just, I'm so tired and so touched out and I still love her to death, but I'm like, I just need to have a little lie down Mm -hmm. or a shower for 15 minutes and not, not be touched. Like it's that touched out part, which is hard. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think,
0: I think it's hard for the partners as well, because they get home from work or they've been out and they come home and they just want to hug. They just want to say hello. And you're just like, I cannot, just don't touch me. Don't come near me. And it's not personal, (laughs) but I mean, you have a dog as well, right? And it's like, if it's not the baby, then it's the dog. And then if it's not the dog, it's the husband or the partner or whoever. And it's just, it's very overwhelming. And that was something I didn't expect.
1: Yeah. But then on the flip side, the thing that I didn't expect, I mean, everyone tells you how much life will change. And, and how different your relationship will be and how different life will be and all your your goals and dreams shift. And, and they have to a certain degree, but then another aspect of me, I still feel like me. I still have the same dreams and goals that I've always had. And I've still, you know, I still want to write my book mm-hmm. and do all these things. And I still, I'm me, but I'm a mum as well. And that was surprising to me that I haven't changed as much as I thought I would. Like the essence of who I am is still very much there.
0: Yeah it's interesting isn't it? I I saw a psychologist when I was pregnant just because I was so sick and I was amazed at the relationship between your mental health and your physical health. So anyway I was seeing the psychologist and I was struggling with feeling of losing my yeah. identity because my job is really important to me and various other things in my life and I said, you know, I'm not going to be at work for a year. And that was a big deal for me. And she said, you're still you. You've just evolved. And I think that really stuck with me.
1: Yeah, I like that, actually. It is. And I think I often would say to myself, I'm not the same person I was when I was 21. And I'm not the same person I was when I was 28. And that doesn't mean I'm telling you how old I am. (laughs) 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 But that's the thing. There's, There's versions of myself that are no longer there and I've changed and I've grown. And so I tried to put it into perspective that those parts of me are still there, but it's not the same anymore as it once was. And it doesn't have to be. And that's fine. Yeah. But change is good. And I think for so long when I was
0: younger, I was so fearful of change because mm. it was the unknown and that loss of control that I really struggled with. And I think it's that saying the only constant is change. And you have to be growing and evolving hmm. to be the best version of yourself. And now you are a mum
1: and that is amazing. Yeah, which still blows my mind that someone like relies on me for food and safety and love. <laughs> and that's one thing I, I adore about being a mum, like seeing her face look up at me with just such pure joy and happiness when I walk into a room, it that part blows me away, I think, the most out of anything it's just being the center of someone's world and as much as as much love as you can find in the world there's yeah there's nothing like it (laughs) no I agree
0: and you said obviously you know you do have your tougher days and I think every new mum does I think you'd be lying if you said that you didn't what does that look like for you
1: I find the unrelenting nature of being a mum the hardest part. So there's no switching off point. There's no, okay, I'm tired. I just wanna kind of sit down and read a book or watch a movie and then slowly cook dinner. Brimrose doesn't care. It's not on her schedule. So, you know, she wants cuddles. She wants love now. So that part i found really hard, like losing the autonomy that you once had over your life and the decisions you made. But then the part that I love about that as well is the fact that it makes me want to be better for her as well. So it pushes me to to try harder and go okay as hard as as hard as I'm finding it I want to show up for her and, and be the the mum that she wants me or needs me to be practicing patience when perhaps I wasn't as patient as I could have been in the past now I I have to be so it pushes me to to try and be a better version of myself
0: yeah and being the best version of yourself is that kind of what's driven you to finish your book
1: you know what it's funny Having that time for myself, writing my book makes me feel more like myself. So I think it's really easy to get bogged down mm. in the day-to-day living of being a mum, And there's always that mental list of what you need to be doing next. And it's so hard to switch off. And even having 20 minutes a day to write my book, it's, it's me time. You know, and even if I have to do it when Primrose is napping on me or I'm sitting in her room while she's in the cot, which very rarely happens, but, <laughs> you know, those, those little moments for my myself, if that's the break that I sometimes need so that I can go back and be her mum. It's that mental refresh. Yeah. So I still feel like myself and I still feel like I haven't completely lost myself in the title of being a mum. Yeah, yeah, I
0: completely know what you mean. It's interesting, isn't it? Because things like taking a shower, I didn't realise how much of a luxury it was to take a shower and not think you're hearing crying every two minutes. So when Matt's home and I say, right, I'm going for a shower and I must be using so much water. This is terrible. But (laughs) you kind of just sit in there and you're like really
1: washing your hair and you're really washing your body. And it's just a luxury, isn't it? It's funny though, the things that you do that make you feel like yourself. And I think that's something that's really important for new moms to find mm. things that make you feel like yourself so you don't feel like you've lost your essence entirely. Yeah. And what's that for you? Writing. Yep. Definitely writing. And. And choosing outfits and putting a face on. Yes, I know. I go through my first step, so I'm like, so what's the first step for most? Primer. So I put her in in the. When I could leave the house, I used to put her in the bouncer, and I do my little steps of makeup. And I've, it's something my mum always said. Actually, is try and do as much of what makes you happy with your baby because it's important for them to see you happy, which I always thought that was a, a really nice piece of advice. So I do. So I put my makeup on and, and I take her through the steps with me and then I pick outfits for her and I pick out- outfits for me. And I know it sounds very frivolous <laughs> and it is to a certain degree, but I've worked in the fashion industry for 10-plus years and so it's, it's a part of who I am and it's a part of what makes me happy. And so I get to share that. A little bit with her as well yeah that is beautiful and do you have matching outfits we had matching pajamas but she's grown out of them oh no I know I know but then I'm like is it too far to have matching outfits I don't know
0: <laughs> no I don't think so No, I
1: don't think so either
0: Matt loves a flannel he is the typical flannel kind of vans Australian and that was the first piece of clothing Matt's best friend bought him. His sister, so Logan's auntie, bought Logan. He now has three pairs of bands, not that he can wear any of them, and a pair of the exact same Ray bands that Matt has. So I just feel like Logan is just going to be a mini Matt. And I think that is the cutest thing.
1: It's adorable. It's <laughs> so cute. But I think, even as, as parents, so much of what you choose for your child as a baby is their taste and I know at some stage when she's going to be able to start speaking she'll pick her outfits and it'll be totally different to something that I would have selected and so I think that'll be the next challenge is letting go of what <laughs> I want and kind of giving her space to do what she wants as well so yeah yeah but I feel like you will give her that because
0: you're a creative and I feel like you'll want her to be her own person and I don't I, I
1: think you'll be fantastic at that thank you my um <laughs> my husband and I we're talking about the the traits that we, we kind of want to let her nourish her own. And that's one of them, you know, being her own person. Yeah. Those conversations are so funny because
0: Matt and I are like chalk and cheese I mean, they say opposites attract But we could not be any different And <laughs> I just really wonder what Logan's going to be like when he's older As they start to grow You start to see little pieces of their personality come out And you're like, oh, you're like me in that sense Because you're doing X, Y, And, Z. and not that it's a competition But I feel like I had the worst pregnancy with Logan for nine months He came out looking exactly like Matt I'm like, give
1: me something
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> It's funny, isn't it, pal? different things are so my mum says that I was very much a baby you could just take anywhere sit anywhere like was just happy to chill whereas Primrose you know she's trying to climb up things or her favorite game is throwing herself off the back of her little baby lounge at the moment you know she's crawling and standing up and and she's so different to me already she just has this gun-ho energy like ready to go and that that wasn't me as a child at all so it's already really interesting seeing her personality and how different it is to me at the same age as well keeps you on your toes for sure oh god yeah
0: (laughs) so you've already mentioned a couple pieces of advice but as a final question is there one last piece of advice that you'd like to leave any new mamas listening with I always feel like giving advice is just
1: such a double-edged sword. But
0: it's not unsolicited because I've asked for it. That's
1: true, that's true. Yes, that is very true. I think my biggest piece of advice is when you're told follow your instinct, it's really sometimes hard to do that if your instinct is what is different to what the the standard norm is for that. So a lot of the time I would be told, follow your instinct, Mm. but it would be very different to what say nurses would say about sleep or things like that. So that was really hard to be like, follow your instincts, but your instincts on this situation seem to be wrong. So do it this way instead. I was like, well, okay, that's not really instinct then, is it? But <laughs> yeah. follow your instincts, but within these boundaries. Yes, that's exactly it. And so I found it really hard. Again, like, you know, up on Google going, what am I doing wrong? How do I fix this? When going, well, maybe this is what works best for my family and for my baby and for for me. So I guess my advice would be that it is really hard to, to follow your instinct, but ultimately there's so much less pressure to put on yourself if you follow how you're feeling and everyone is going to do things differently because everyone is different and they have different babies so don't compare just go if this is what you feel is best for you and your family and your baby do that and back yourself because it's really hard to back yourself
0: nailed it that is (laughs) such good advice maybe I should change that last question Yeah. Maybe it should not say advice because everyone harps on about unsolicited advice. (laughs) You might say something that another mum might completely agree with and think, you know what, my gut says one thing and, you know, someone else or Google's saying another thing.
1: I should go (laughs) with my gut. And I think that's a really important message. Mm, It's hard to do. I mean, it's so much easier said than done. You know, when you're in the throes of desperation, Googling things at Lord knows what hour, but... Ultimately, I think that's what I found now. And I think looking back on the last eight months, I probably would have been a little bit kinder to myself in those moments, rather than going, well, you must be doing it wrong, ultimately going to that place.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the great thing about having mother's groups, isn't it? Because, you know, at those 3am feeds, you can see which of the mother's groups online, you can send a message going, I'm feeding at this time, how are you going, blah, blah, blah. And it's through sharing your struggles and speaking to others about their experiences. You might say, oh, actually, your gut instinct is the same as mine. That gives me reassurance and knowing that what I'm doing is okay and it might not be aligned to what a doctor has said or a lactation consultant or anything like that. I mean, obviously if it's something medical, I say, follow the professionals. If it's something that is personal choice, I feel like that's when your gut instinct's right.
1: Absolutely. I can't express how grateful I am for all of the mum friends that I have made since becoming a mum and a mum friend just doesn't seem like the right word because it's more just the friendships I have made since becoming a mum because it's so easy to think I'm doing this wrong and my baby and I are struggling and no one else is struggling everyone else has got it under control and then camaraderie in that and it makes you feel like you're not doing the wrong thing because I think so much pressure comes you just want to be the best that you can be for your baby but I've put a lot of pressure on myself to try and be doing what Primrose needs and, and how can I be the best for her? And sometimes I think I've been too hard on myself and thinking that I'm I'm failing her, but it's nice to have friends that you can talk to and they go, no, look, I'm struggling with this too. Or this is how I've I found that it works for us. Maybe you could try this too. There's um camaraderie in that. And I've loved finding that. Yeah, absolutely. So final piece of advice, go with your gut
0: and find a kick-ass mother's group. Yes, really good ladies around you. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. I've thoroughly enjoyed this chat. I can honestly spend hours talking to you. Um, but I appreciate you being so open and vulnerable and sharing your story. And hopefully some of the listeners will be able to benefit from that. So thank
1: you. Thanks, Lauren. It's been wonderful.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to the new Mama podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe to hear future episodes or share with a friend. Otherwise, if you'd like to share your story, send me a DM via Instagram at newmamapodcast. And remember, it's okay to not be okay. We're in this together and Mama, you
1: got this.